And Father, during this time that we celebrate the time when you came down for the purpose of saving mankind, we look at your second coming, that time when you'll come, and Father, all things will be wrapped up, will be brought to an end, and mankind will be judged. But it's because of that judgment that your grace reigns today. And so, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather here in this place, to be prepared, Lord, for every good work. And so, once again, we just pray that you guide us, teach us, and instruct us, be glorified through our humble lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Greetings, neighbors. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. We're going to be picking back up at verse 24, but as always, because tonight is Thursday night, we have our email prayer request. We have an email prayer request prayer chain at our church, where if you need something prayed for, you can put it on the prayer chain and immediately have over 80 people praying for it. We gather them together one last time on Thursday night and lift the ones that came up over the course of the week up in prayer. Again, if you want to be part of the people who pray or you want something prayed for, email Teresa, that's Mrs. Turin at gmail.com. The information is in the bulletin. First one on the list is Joanne Kilsmeyer. Joanne Kilsmeyer leads worship. Uh, she's been dealing dealing with very high blood pressure. I believe it was like 220 over 119 at one point. Um, it's caused uh, dizziness and nausea. It's been fluctuating. Um, I believe she sent it over the prayer chain today that it went down, but it has come up a little bit. So just keep her up in prayer that the Lord would stabilize it and heal her of these things and just restore her back to the things that he has called her to do and the things that uh, in the service she renders here at the church. And and just ask that he would meet her and, and just give her a, a calmness and a peace about what she needs to do to take care of herself. Shannon Lett um, put a, a request out. She's been struggling with the ministry to her mom. Her mom has Alzheimer's, and it's just a really hard thing. Um, Shannon works, I believe, at night, and ministering to her mom during the day can be so overwhelming. Uh, we've been talking about it, how we can take some of the pressure off as a church. But just lift that up in prayer, because, again, just to... Uh, have your mom being that dependent upon you has just got to be a very hard thing. Terry Barrett asked for prayer for a friend's daughter. Uh, Krista, she was, is, and this is uh, Terry's verbiage, she was attacked and is in critical condition. And so lift Krista up in prayer when you think about it. Penny asked for prayer for her niece Haley. She's been sick with the fever, nausea, and fluctuating blood pressure. Uh, Jim Kalinowski, we've been praying for him. Linda's probably ministering to her husband tonight. She's not here. Um, but anyway, we've been praying for him. It was about, I don't remember, about nine months ago, he was all set to have surgery where they found some blood clots in his leg and got put off. Well, it got put all the way off until last Monday. They had a procedure that they did. They put a some kind kind of strainer in his leg that would catch any blood clots. And then the next day, he had the microsurgery on his back. 
Um, he said, and I got this off the prayer chain, that it has relieved his nerve pain, although he's dealing obviously with the surgery pain, but it looks like it achieved its purpose, but he's just asked for prayer that he would completely heal. Dwight asked for prayer for a friend named Angie was in a car accident and is going to need back surgery because of it. Also, his wife Nancy has the flu. She's getting over it, he said, but nonetheless continue to lift Nancy up. Suzanne White asked for prayer for her granddaughter Ashley. She's flying into Washington. Um, by herself with her son Jonas, and so she just asked for prayer, safe passage for her, but also Ashley's husband, Ryan, he's going to be coming down separate, and he'll be driving home alone all the way back up to uh, Canada, and so she's asked for prayer for him as well as he travels by himself. So those are our prayer requests, and we've got the opportunity to pray for them one last time. So let's lift them up. Father, once again, we just thank you for this opportunity, even this privilege, and pray, Father, that we would be a people found faithful. I lift up Joanne and just pray for this blood pressure issue that she's dealing with, God, that you would meet her in the midst of it, that you would be her peace, that, Lord, you would just cause that calming effect to come over her, and that, Father, you would cause that blood pressure to be reduced and to be stabilized. And so, Father, we just pray that you would heal her and restore her back to fellowship and ministry here at the church. Lord, I lift up Shannon and pray that you would strengthen her through your spirit to the ministry for her mom and just pray, Lord, that you would enable her, that you would be her peace and comfort as well. I pray for us as the church, if there's a part that we can play in this, that you would show us what that is. But I also lift up Anne to you who's struggling with this Alzheimer's and that, Father, we pray that your hands of healing would be upon her as well. Lord, I lift up Terry's friend, uh, friend's daughter, uh, Krista, and as she was attacked and is in critical condition, I don't know where she is at with you, but I pray that you would meet her in that hospital, and God, that you would be her peace and comfort. If she does not have a relationship with you, I pray that you would reveal yourself to her, Lord, and she would submit herself to you. Lord, I pray for Penny's niece, Haley, and just pray, Father, that you would that you would touch her and heal her and cause her blood pressure to stabilize as well. I lift up my brother Jim, and I thank you, Lord, that he's already found some relief from the pain that he has been dealing with, and pray, Father, that you would bring him to a full healing. And so, Lord, I thank you that the surgery was turned to success, and pray, Father, that it would even do more than he even suspected. Lord, I lift up Dwight's friend Angie, and I just pray for the surgery that is needed, and just pray that you would use this situation somehow to your glory, Father, and I don't know where Angie is with you, but I just pray, God, that you would do a work in her life, as well as Nancy. I lift up Nancy and and her salvation, Father, and just pray that you would meet her in the midst of uh, her dealing with this flu, and God, we just pray that you would heal her on so many different levels. I pray for Suzanne's granddaughter, Suzanne White's granddaughter, Ashley, and and her great-grandson, Jonas, and pray that they would travel safely, Lord, and you would bring them down here in one piece, and they would enjoy the fellowship that they're able to have with one another. I pray for Ashley's husband, Ryan, and pray that he would travel well also. And so, Father, we just thank you, God, that you have entrusted us with these prayers. Pray, Father, that we would forever be faithful in them, Lord. Lifting up our study tonight, praying that you would bless us in your word one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, with a group of his disciples, are sitting on the Mount of Olives, which is just adjacent to the temple. 
more than likely they're at level, eye level with the temple. The temple would be set up on top of the temple mount, and then there would be the valley of Kidron, and then you would have the Mount of Olives. And as they were leaving Jerusalem at the end of the day, about halfway up, they stopped, and they're looking at this temple eye level, and Jesus is speaking of how it is going to be destroyed. One of his disciples had just commented on the beauty, the glory, and the permanence of this temple in Jerusalem. But again, Jesus is saying not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And so here they are, they're looking at these things that are almost too big for them to comprehend. Well, in this study, Jesus' most thorough, it's called the Olivet Discourse, Jesus' most thorough study on end-time events, for us, from our perspective, they're almost too big for us to comprehend. I mean, just thinking of the rapture of the church. All of a sudden, millions of born-again believers are just going to simply disappear. It's kind of a surreal thing. It's, it's bigger than you can comprehend. And then there's going to be the Antichrist and that time of tribulation and these great cataclysmic events. Too big to comprehend. And then there's going to come that time when Jesus comes back and he's coming back and there's there's going to be a cloud of witness. We are going to be coming with him. All born-again believers that are with him at that time are going to be coming back with him and he's coming back for judgment. Again, too big to comprehend. So there's these amazing things that are going to be happening in their future, in our future. And so Jesus is speaking of these things. And once again, as with prophecy, there is a short and there is a long. And the short is given so that we see the things that Jesus said would happen before they happened, or said they would happen before they happened, and they did come to pass, we would know that the things that are still in our future would come to pass as well. And so Mark chapter 13 verse 3 says, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, they asked him a series of questions and were Uh, comparing a few of the Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we know that there were three questions that were asked at this time. Last week we saw the first one, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all of these things will be fulfilled? Secondly, the second question is, what is the sign of Jesus' second coming? Thirdly, what is the sign of the end of the age? Well, From last week's study, we know that in Jesus' answer, we must comprehend it remembering some key concepts. So as we're looking at what Jesus is saying, we must understand the context. A Jewish teacher instructing Jewish men. And so looking at it from that perspective, there's the integration, the interpretation of his answer must mesh with all previous prophecies concerning end-time events. The practicality. There must be something to it for the church today because the church is obviously going to be prominent during the last days. And then eschatology, an understanding of the fulfillment of God's plan for mankind. All of these things must mesh together. And so we as a church have responsibility when it comes to end-time teachings. There are four things, as I've pointed out before, four things that the Bible warns us Now, this is important. The Bible is warning us here, encouraging however you want to state it, but four things that the Bible warns us to not be ignorant of it. 
So four things that God wants you to not be ignorant in your personal Christian life. The first one is do not be ignorant of your spiritual giftings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, we're told that. The idea is that God has supernaturally enabled us through our spiritual giftings to serve him. We must seek these out. We must recognize them and follow through on them. So the Bible says, tells the individual within the church, don't be ignorant of your spiritual gifting. Secondly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, don't be ignorant of trials in this current life. Because trials enter in and you will think, what's going on? I was promised this blessed life and all of a sudden things got hard. Well, we know in this life, as we are not ignorant of these things, we know all who desire to live godly are going to suffer tribulation. And so it's a reality in the Christian's life. And then thirdly, Romans chapter 11, verse 25, we are not to be ignorant of God's dealings with Israel. The focus of mankind is always going to be directed towards that area because it's so in time rich in the things that are going to happen there, but it's prominent throughout the course of human history. And then fourthly, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we're not to be ignorant of eschatology or in time teaching. And if you did a survey within the church, what are the top four things that the church is ignorant in? Spiritual giftings, trials in this current life, God's dealing with Israel, and eschatology. And so if you're ignorant, you are now coming to the right church because we are dealing with all of these things. After tonight, you should be able to cross out three and four, God's dealing with Israel and eschatology. If you've been coming on Sunday mornings, we've been looking in First Peter, Peter writing to the churches that are about to suffer tribulation, and so you'd be able to cross out number two. And then if you're a man and you would come to the men's study on Wednesday morning, where in First Corinthians chapter 14, we just finished, we've been looking at spiritual gifting. And so these teachings, according to God and according to his word, these teachings are essential within the church because we've been commanded not to be ignorant of these things. And so last week we saw Jesus's answer to question one. When will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? In Luke chapter 21, verse 24, it says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away to captivity into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When was Jerusalem trampled by the Gentiles? We saw it last week. It was the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. by the Roman general Titus. Rome, I'm sorry, Israel had rebelled for the last time in Rome's mind. And so Rome went in there and they just decimated. They went in there and they killed millions of Jews. It was said that one of the Roman soldiers, they were told to not harm the temple because there was a lot of riches there, but somebody threw a torch in and somehow it caught on fire anyway. And the things, you know, it was made out of rock, so rock doesn't burn, but the insides, it, it, it caught on fire and it just produced a big furnace. Well, there was a lot of gold there and a lot of the gold melted and went into the crevices of the rock. So what did they do? They tore down the temple trying to get at all of the gold and Jesus's prophecy of one rock not being left upon the other came to fulfillment. Rome built a pagan temple on Mount Moriah and changed the name of Israel to Palestine at that point for the purpose of getting at the Jews. The time of the Gentiles 
When will the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled? Well, the Apostle Paul spoke about it briefly in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, really in chapter 11 as a whole, speaking of Israel's place as far as Gentiles being grafted onto that tree that is Israel, us participating in the blessings of Israel, God ministering through them, but then also Israel being regrafted on. In verse 25, It says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this ministry. Do not be ignorant of God's dealing with Israel. It says, Least you should be wise in your own opinion that the blindness in part has happened to Israel. Where are they blind? They didn't recognize Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until until the fullness of the Gentiles has come, until that period of time in human history. Last week, again, we devoted the teaching to it, of which we will not do again, we're just reviewing, but we saw that that time is the rapture of the church. The signs of the fulfillment of of that period of time is going to be the rapture and the time of tribulation. Jesus then described from the beginning of chapter 13 through to verse 23, well, we saw the beginning of the tribulation in verses 5 through 13, the middle of the tribulation, verses 14 through 18, and then Jesus describes the end of the tribulation in verses 19 through 23. Now we switch over. Second question, what is the sign of Jesus' second coming? Verses 24 through 27. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of the heaven will fall and the powers in the heaven shall be shaken. Then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven." There's going to be, well, we are currently in a progression that God is dealing with mankind. There was, we'll start at Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. We see in the book of Exodus how God had reached his arm, outstretched arm, powerful arm into the world, into Egypt and delivered his people. And he went on from there and established the nation of Israel. Out of the nation Israel came the promised Messiah And the church age started. Today, we are in the day of man. God allows us to make the decisions that we desire to make. We're going to be accountable to them. But this is what theologians consider to be the day of man. There's going to come the day, which is the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, is the day of the rapture. It's going to be the shortest day in the Bible. It's going to be the rapture of the church, which will usher in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord encompasses the time of tribulation, the Lord's second coming, and the millennial age. After that is going to be what theologians describe as the day of God, and that's going to be when there's a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus' first coming, he came in peace. In his second coming, he's going to be coming in judgment. And so the question is, how do you want to view the Lord's coming as he comes into your life? Because he will come into the life of everybody who is created. It's the idea is, if you hear he's coming, do you want, if you heard the President of the United States was, was coming, you want to see him coming, especially for your foreign nation, in Air Force One? because you know the president's coming to make a visit, negotiation or whatever, or the president as he sends his representatives in an F-16 fighter pilot. Well, 
the Lord is going, he came as that baby is, which we'll be celebrating. He came as a savior for the salvation of all of mankind. But there's going to come that time in his second coming that he is coming to wrap things up and he's coming for the purpose of judgment. The ultimate sign of his second coming, we are told, is great power and great glory. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 31, it says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. It speaks of the power that God is going to be exercising. Now, I've been teaching at the Bible College. I've been teaching in the book of Genesis. And when we first started, we were in chapter 1, obviously, and just looking at the power of God to create. Well, when you get into Revelation and you see the things that are happening, it's the power of God to dismantle his creation. Just as he was able to create all that we see through the speaking of his word, he will take apart, if you will, everything that he has created through the spoken power of his word. And so when we're told here in power, the idea is that he is going to have control over, especially again as we read through the book of Revelation, but the laws of nature, the planets and the stars will be affected, the political structures will be cast away, and those who are of demons will realize that this is the end that they knew that one day would come. And so one of his signs is going to be power. We're going to see great cataclysmic events happen worldwide. We've seen the birth pangs of these things. These things, again, seem to be increasing in frequency and becoming closer and closer to populated area. God trying to get our attention. But as, again, we read the book of Revelation or the more detailed in, in Matthew chapter 24 of the Olivet Discourse, we see these amazing things that are going to be happening these huge earthquakes and, and the whole structure of the earth is going to be changed and stars and sun blotted out from the sky and, and just these amazing things where God is displaying his glory. But why is he doing all of that? Why is he displaying his power at these end times? Well, that's why it's called the tribulation. We've seen this before. What does tribulation mean? Tribulation means a squeezing. It doesn't make sense for God to punish people and then to send them into hell. So this time isn't a time of punishing. This time is a time of recognition that God is putting the squeeze on, if you will, that mankind would repent, that mankind would turn to him, that they would see the awesome power of a holy God and they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we see time and time again that what were people doing in the book of Revelation? As these things were happening, they would look at God and they would curse him and they would refuse to repent. But just in that statement that they refused to repent tells me that they had the ability to repent. And if mankind repents, there's that opportunity to get right with God. So in actuality, that seven-year period of tribulation is actually the revealed grace of God. There's going to be people who do not recognize that. Why? Because they're refusing the grace of God. But for those people who become born again, because again, there's going to be the time of rapture, and there will not be one born-again person on this planet. But then I think immediately there's going to be people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of the word which we shared with them. And they're going to come to an understanding that these things are true. Maybe even this study, as it's going out on Facebook, and all of our studies are posted on Facebook. We've been doing it for a couple of years now, and the first one we did is still there. These things will go through the rapture on the other side of the rapture, and they'll be there to minister. The times when you've shared the word of God, even if somebody has laughed in your face, those things will resonate with them. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. 
And they'll remember these things and they'll realize the truthfulness of these things. And it will be the people who get saved during the time of tribulation that realize that that is the revealed grace and love of God because that's what was necessary in their life to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. For my father, it was a tribulation. In his personal life, it was cancer that brought him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so God allows these squeezings to come into the life of man for the purpose, the purpose of his salvation. So there's going to be the great power, but there's also going to be glory in that he's going to be coming in the clouds. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Because we are coming back with Jesus Christ, let us live a holy life. What's the glory of God? Well, the clouds that are being spoken of, he's literally coming clouds, and the idea is that all humanity will see him in the sky. But I believe the main portion of what is being spoken by the cloud is the many believers that will be coming with him. These will be believers all the way from the Old Testament days that believed in the promise of Messiah, all of those during the church age, and those who believed during the time of tribulation and were killed for their faith. At the end of that seven years, this great cloud of witness will be coming with the Lord. And how is God's glory best displayed? Not so much through a bright, shiny light, but through the born-again believer and the life that he has done and continues to do in the individual. And so we will be shining, we will be reflecting the glory of God throughout all of eternity. So it can be easily confused, the rapture of the church and his second coming. We're told that the Lord comes for his church, but we're told that we will meet him in the air at the rapture. But then there is going to come the time at the tribulation, his second, at the end of the tribulation, his second coming, that he is coming to earth with all of his, um, with all of the saved. So the rapture is Jesus coming for the church. His return is his coming with the church. Then we move on to the third question, and this is where we'll devote the majority of our time here today. What is the sign of the end of the age? How does mankind know when these things are going to be happening? As we'll see in, in just a little bit, nobody knows the exact day or time when these things are going to happen. Again, the Apostle Paul, we see very clearly in his writings that he believed that these things were going to happen during his day. Obviously, they, they didn't. Um, as I mentioned last week, I've heard Pastor Chuck, he believed they were going to happen during his day, and they didn't. I believe that they're going to happen during our day and my day, and I don't know if they will. But nonetheless, we look at the things that are going on, we look at some of the things that have happened in scriptures and some of the clues, and we get an idea on the period of time. There's nowhere written, nowhere in the Bible, there's no secret codes, there's no way that it has been revealed to man the exact time and day that these things are going to happen. Anybody that says they've figured it out, if you hear any of that, I guarantee you they're wrong because the Bible says they're wrong and they are a false teacher. I'm going to look at some specifics, but keep in mind, I know this doesn't make sense, but these specifics I'm going to be speaking in generalities because nobody knows when the time is going to come. And so, what is the sign of the end of the age? Verses 28 through 31. 
Now learn this parable. Now notice what he's saying. Pay attention to what I'm saying. And he's basically saying, know what I'm saying. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also know when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors, at the very doors, we're told elsewhere. As surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. There is a surety, he's saying, to what I am saying, if you will, you can bank on it. So we saw previously a few weeks ago in chapter 11 that Jesus cursed a fig tree. This was a fig tree that looked good, it looked healthy, it had green leaves on it, but it bore no fruit. Within a day, it was dead. We saw that it was symbolic of the cursing of a Christ-rejecting Israel. We've already seen this, that somewhere between 70 and 135 AD, that fig tree completely died off and it ceased to exist. Israel ceased to exist as a nation during that time. It's during this time, the time from 135 AD, when the complete destruction of the country as a whole was, was, was completed, all the way through until 1948, the church is at a disadvantage because Israel doesn't exist. How do I figure in time theology without the existence of Israel? You can't do it. You can't do it. Now, somebody by faith would think, okay, well, God will reestablish Israel, but that was a hard thing to swallow. That would take tremendous faith because never has a nation been completely destroyed and scattered to the wind and then brought back together as a nation. Well, with Israel, in, in past history, it's already happened twice the time of the Babylonian and Assyrian captivity, and then Rome, and now it's been established again in, well, I wasn't around in 1948, but at least in the generation that is even still alive today. So, the church is at a disadvantage trying to figure out. So, there are some different views of eschatology by some good teachers of the past, and even some theology of some churches today, because they've held on to that which was developed in the past because they were developing their eschatology without the existence of, of Israel. And actually, usually what they do is they substitute the church for Israel, that the church has taken the place of Israel, which is called replacement theology. It is not something that I teach, nor is it something that I believe in. Israel is Israel, and the church is the church. Generally thinking, in the Old Testament, God's attention was directed towards Israel, but they were to be the light towards the Gentiles. So the Gentiles, God still desired that they be right with him, but his focus was at Israel. Then there was a big changing around during the, the time of Acts through to even today that God's focus was upon the church and the Gentiles. Jews are still getting saved today through faith in Jesus Christ. Then there's going to be the rapture of the church. It's taken out, and then God's attention is going to be brought back to Israel, although Gentiles will still get saved at that time. And so we see how this how, how Israel fits in all of this and what's going on as far as how God is working and his dispensations towards Israel and so on and so forth. So, you have the destruction of Israel. And after a few thousand years, a thousand and some, an interesting series of events starts to occur. 
my wife has it in a diary. Her ancestors are German, and it was interesting. She was reading me her diary. I pointed it out before. But in one entry in the diary, from what I recall, it was one of the kids' birthdays. And they're saying, you know, today's so-and-so's birthday, and they're talking about that. And they say, oh, and then tonight we heard the sirens going off again and, and how these stores that are owned by the people that wear the stars, they're being destroyed and these fires that are going on. And they're talking about, and this is in the 30s, I don't remember the date exactly, but they're talking about the advent of Nazi Germany and how they were coming up against the Jews. So in 1933, the Third Reich emerges and they're ruled by the Nazi party. Part of the plan of the Nazi party is their quest for social purity, and big part of that is the extermination of all Jews. And we know, history tells us, the Holocaust comes. And between 1933 and 1945, five million Jews are murdered, are are put to death in Hitler's quest to cleanse the Jews. And so the question needs to be asked, how could God allow something like that to happen to his chosen people. They are still his chosen people. And I don't know all of the details, but the one thing that I do know is, and we're told this in Romans 8, 28, and we know. So even when something as tragic as that happens, we can still know that all things are working together for the good. It says, to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. So the Holocaust was working together. The Holocaust was not a good thing. Don't get me wrong in that. It was a horrible thing. We were at the Holocaust Museum in Israel. When you go to Israel, we, you do the tour of the Holocaust Museum, and it really makes it personal. There, there's this one section, they have this glass floor, and it's just filled with the shoes of people. You, there's this other thing that's in a case or whatever, and it's everybody's eyeglasses. And, and you're just, you see their, their shoes of adults and their shoes of kids, and it just really makes it personal, and it's just really an amazing experience. But although the Holocaust was not good, God was using it for his good. And so we understand that God is is always doing a work and nothing happens beyond his control. We also know the promises that God had given to Israel in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He gave it to Israel through Abram. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after the glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Again, the apple of the Lord's eye, an apple of somebody's eye is their pupil, and the idea of those who persecute Israel, it's as if they're poking God in the eye. Nazi Germany, after 1945, has ceased to exist. Germany itself has never been what it used to be. And so out of that Holocaust, well, the thing that came out of that was the establishment out of World War II was the establishment of the United Nations in October of 1945. Now, there was great guilt and sediment at the time for the Jews because here they're being massacred and all of these things. We as a nation had heard of these. You've heard of the boat people that came here looking for a place for, for refuge and they were sent back to Nazi Germany and a lot of them were imprisoned and, and killed. And so there's great guilt amongst the nations. You know, you, you wouldn't have that today. The nations as general are contrary to Israel. But back then, God used the Holocaust in order to solve 
soften the hearts of the world. And then on May 15, 1948, the United Nations, they had pressured England for the reestablishment of Israel. And on that date, May 15, 1948, a miracle occurred that's never occurred in human history. A nation is reestablished. And again, if you want to go deeper, this is the second time that it has happened with Israel. And it has never happened before. Never has a nation been totally decimated, totally cast to the wind, and then brought back. And so all of a sudden, the theologian, he runs back to the Bible. This has just changed everything. He's having to reevaluate his view and his interpretation. And you land here at, at Mark chapter 13, verse 28. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. Well, again, he had just cursed this fig tree. This fig tree that was healthy now is dead. Israel that had been healthy is going to be dead. But it says, learn this parable from the fig tree when, speaking of a future event, its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the very doors. And surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So this fig tree, this tree exists, it has leaves, but no fruit, just as it was before it was cursed by the Lord. A perfect description of Israel today. Israel today is a very secular country. When you go into Jerusalem, you see the Jews dressed up in their garb and all that, but the majority of the population is a very secular nation. Tel Aviv is known as the homosexual capital of all of Europe. And so... Israel is very secular today. So it's a tree. Israel's probably one of the healthiest nations in the world, if not even healthier than the United States. The technology, the agricultural, all of this stuff, they thrive in all of these things. And this is a desert country. But they've irrigated it, they've nurtured it, they've taken care of it. So this tree, this tree is very healthy, but it's still not bearing fruit. Verse 29, so also when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the very door. These things, the reestablishment of Israel. Now, it's important to see this. Now, my Bible has an asterisk in it. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that that word it. And my asterisk, if you look down, it can also be translated he. I don't know, I think some manuscripts had it there, some manuscripts had he, probably a translator it because he's talking about end times, but I think he, capital H-E, Jesus Christ, is near at the very doors. And so the idea is is that Christ is prepared for his second coming when you see these things happening. When you see Israel reestablished, know that the second coming of Jesus Christ is imminent. And then he goes a step deeper if you look at verse 30. And surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And so you're thinking of the apostles' generation, the people he's talking to, but it's not that. It's the people that he is talking about. Specifically, in context, it's the generation that was around, excuse me, or that is around at the establishment of Israel, at the establishment, the reestablishment of that tree. And so this generation that was around at the reestablishment of Israel, they will see the end of the age. 
So, what is a generation? Israel was established in 1948. A generation, it varies the interpretation of when a generation is. Life expectancy of man is around 78 years. Some people say a generation is every 40 years. Some say it's every 100 years. If you just loosely use 78 years, that puts 78 years from 1948 to be 2026. And so, am I bringing a date as far as when this is going to happen? No, because if you bring a date, it's not going to happen because nobody knows. But the idea is, it's imminent. If it happens tonight, if the rapture of the church happens tonight, the Lord's in, in line with his word. If it tarries another 50 years, he's still in line with his word. But the idea here is, what we should see is, especially with the reestablishment of Israel, it could happen at any moment. <clears throat> I've brought this up before, and we'll talk about it again tonight, just because it's interesting. But there's one thing you need to consider here when I bring up the term numeretics. Numeretics is not a biblical concept, a direct biblical concept. It's something that the theologians, those who study the Bible, they've taken certain numbers and seen reoccurrences of those numbers and attached them to certain concepts that go on in the scripture. So I just want to preface it by that. And these things follow through, and I don't remember where I heard this from, but it just kind of makes sense based upon what I just had been speaking of. So if you do the math and follow the timeline, you'll see that Adam and Eve, if you go through the scriptures, you'll see that they were created some 6,000 years ago. And numeretics, number six, is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. Six days are appointed for man to labor in the curse, and there's other occurrences of that. And so after 6,000 years, 6,000 years from the point of creation would end sometime around the year 2000. When we head into the next 1,000 years, that will be the seventh 1,000-year period. Seven in numeretics is spiritual perfection and also the Sabbath. So after 6,000 years of man's labor, we can now be at the door of man's rest or the millennial age, which we see in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. What happens after that 1,000 years? Well, after that 1,000 years, you moved in to the 8,000 years. And in numeretics, the number 8 is the number of new beginnings. What's going to happen then? Revelation 21.1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Verse 31, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. And so when are these things going to happen for sure, as far as precisely, if you combine <coughs> all that I said about numeretics and combining all these things as far as the reestablishment of Israel and all of this, verse 32 says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows. What do we get? We're speaking specifically, but generally. So we look at our generation, my generation. I shouldn't say ours because some of you aren't in my generation, but... Um, put my generation, could it happen in my generation? Yeah, it definitely could. And, and it would line up with every one of these. 
if you hear Pastor Mike died yesterday and you're a young person, know it could very well happen in your generation or your children's generation. I just don't really know. But what I do know is what kind of people should we be based upon these things is living a life of holiness, being proactive in all that God has called us to do. Verse 32 through 37 gives us a little bit more specifics in the life we should be leading. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So again, if somebody gives you a specific date and says Jesus Christ is coming back at this time, you can just flat out call them a false prophet because they are not correct. Verse 33 Verse 33, and again, I've pointed this out before. I've underlined these words in my Bible. Four times the word is repeated, must be important. Verse 33, take heed. The word appears for the first time here. Watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Verse 34, it is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Verse 35, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, least coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all. What he says to them back in that day, he says to us in this day, watch. So what is it that we are to be watching? Is it for the holy cost? Is it numbers and all of these things? Just watch for the signs of the times and the truthfulness of God's word. Just watch and be ready. Watch your life and watch your manner of living. Watch and see the opportunities that God gives you and be found faithful in all that God has called you to do. In Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, it says, And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So interesting teaching here as far as what's contained in the scriptures as we contain the scriptures with the events of history and we see the reality of these things. What should it do? It should cause us to be proactive in our Christian faith. Again, not setting dates, but being part of the date that God has made with somebody who is lost and far from Christ, that because of our efforts, because of our faithfulness, they would come into God's kingdom. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I I pray, Father, as interesting as these things are, that, Lord, we would be interested by the things even angels desire to look into, your plan of salvation for all of mankind, salvation by grace and justification through faith. And, and Lord, just all of the elements that are in existence in your scriptures, Father, that we would dig deep in all of them. But in this specific one, as, as well as a few others, we're told to not be ignorant, Father. So I just pray that we would see the things that have gone on, that are going on, And just simply knowing, Father, that your hand is upon the history of mankind. And so, Lord, as all things are under your direction, we just rejoice in who you are and all that you've done and all that you're going to do. And, Lord, we just thank you and praise you that you have brought us into your equation. We just lift all to you, giving you the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? 
Sunday, we are going to be having our uh, Christmas, I was going to say Easter, but Christmas celebration. Um, and I really would like to see it to be an outreach. We're having the kids come up, and uh, they're going to be doing a play, extended worship, and then I'll be given a teaching. Um, and it's just designed to be a time of just worshiping the Lord and what the Lord is doing that day. As I mentioned before, I'll be giving an evangelical message. So just keep in mind, whoever it is that you would invite that day, that's this Sunday morning for uh, 10 a.m. service. Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, we're going to be having an agape feast. And then at 6 o'clock, this coming Sunday, we're going to be having a movie night. The next Sunday, for Sunday evening service, we are not having on Sunday, but we're moving it over to Christmas Eve, which is the next day on Monday. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.
God bless you guys. Have a good rest of your week.